Hello and welcome to another edition of Wellbeing. I'm Iris Nichols. I wonder how many of us have had a headache or headaches that seem to take over our lives. Maybe you're one of two million Australians who have migraine headaches on a regular basis. Talking to me today about this is Gerald Edmonds, Executive Director of Headache Australia. Mr Edmonds, thank you for joining me today. Uh, it's my pleasure, Iris. How long has Headache Australia been in existence? Well, it is an initiative of the Brain Foundation. Now, that was set up by neurologists and neurosurgeons in 1970. But the Brain Foundation, sorry, the Headache Australia as such, came later, probably about 15 years later. So it has been about for quite a while, but it hasn't enjoyed the high enough profile, in my opinion, that it, it really needs to have. Was it set up as a research unit for Brain Australia, or, or was it set up in its own right? No, it's, it's a division of Brain Foundation, but it really it is. It, the research is critical for us because there's very little funding for research into headache and migraine in particular. And there's some reasons for that I could explain to you later. But the main purpose is both the research end, but also to communicate to those people who are affected by such matters, mainly through our website, but we're also happy to have telephone information available. And I can provide that information to you later. Of the figure of two million people, do you know the breakdown between male and female? Well, that's actually fairly conservative, uh, Iris. In fact, later research regrettably shows that instance is slightly higher and that it could well be as high as 15% of the population, which brings us bordering on three million. That's I a guess. lot of people, isn't it? Yes, it is known that, in fact, the split is just a bit above, say, 62% the latest figures we have. Uh, unfortunately, women and mm. the rest men, 38. So that's where the first step in the complexity of the arrangement starts to open up, whereas, in fact, you might say if it was women only, there might be a hormonal component, and there is for some, but not for all, and therefore men would not be liable to it. So mm. it's a very complex area. Do the headaches usually start in childhood or when the person goes into puberty? Well, that's what I'm saying. Depending on the nature of it, for, for young women, it might well be that latter point that you make there when, when the onset of puberty and the hormonal arrangements kick mm. in. But for others, there are ch- people who have children. They, the onset does vary and that we don't have enough information to be able to make a clear statement about that. But we do know that, in fact, it is hereditary. So with a family connection, um, if a parent has had suffered from it, it's very likely that some of the children may. Not all. Mm. There's a likelihood. The uh, instance of uh, the children is about one in four in each family, isn't it? Better information than you on mm. that one, I'm sorry to say. Mm. But I can say that the, the World Health Organization has defined migraine in particular as a disability. And it's a unique disability in that it's intermittent. And when people mm. aren't suffering an, an attack, they are as good as anybody. And that's an image we, we have to keep promoting and, and to dispel the idea that people who get migraines are sick all the time. They're only suffering when the attack occurs. The rest of the time, they're 100%. Us to convey to employers. So you see, we do have uh, very big aims to try and get out there and improve understanding about the whole area. And certainly when an attack occurs, they, they just sort of flatten them completely, don't they? Well, yes, you become sensitive to light and sound and nauseous as well. Mm. And that, that starts to create problems with the types of medication that may be effective for you because if you can't hold down something in your stomach, then it's not much good taking an oral preparation. Mm. 
And some people even have to go off and have injections in emergency wards because it's such an incredibly uh, intense pain, I'm told. Unfortunately, they don't suffer that. Do you know how frequently they occur on average? Oh, this is a variable thing indeed, Iris. Uh, some people might just have one a month. Some people might have two or three a year. Some people have told me they've had a number in a week. Mm. So it is variable. It's one of those things, again, it adds to the complexity of it. There are triggers that are well known. And, of course, what we try to do is, if people aren't already aware, um, we try to inform them about how to manage the process as best you can. And that means um, a bit of self-analysis and looking at what happened when I got the last attack. Mm. And there are a number of well-known triggers that we can talk about uh, as, as we progress the discussion. Does the pain continue for the rest of the patient li- patient's life or does it lessen as they get older? Well, there is, yes. There's some evidence that suggests that as age uh, increases, so the uh, intensity and uh, frequency does diminish and perhaps may stop altogether, but not for everybody. And that's what I'm saying. It, it confounds mm. the researchers because there isn't a great deal of funding and they've got all these different things happening, so you don't get any simple matter. Let me explain that a known trigger, for example, Iris, is uh, chocolate, eating chocolate. Mm, I've uh, heard about that one. You might be susceptible to migraines, and I might be, so that mm. you might have some and get a migraine. I have some and I do not. Being that the, the medical fraternity do not know is what is the link between eating something like that and the end result of the terrible situation in the, in the brain. Mm. And that's what we've actually still funded. We're funding research now. What is the thing? What, if they could find that, we could eliminate the problem. And that's a very exciting opportunity for us. There doesn't seem to be a common denominator for one thing that affects every patient, does there? No, well, that's, that's, that's where it gets complex, that it may affect one but not another. So all we can say is that each individual needs to be aware of what are the things that might affect them. And there's a whole range from dairy products to wheat products and certain sensitivities that regrettably haven't been able to be explored for, uh, as much as we would like to see. There's a dietary component, then there's the external things that might happen where you might have stress, you might not be sleeping well, you might not. In fact, one of the things, I'm surprised at how many people respond to this, do not drink enough water. It's not tea, coffee, Mm. soft drink, but water, very important matter. And dehydration will, in fact, start to be a trigger for migraines. And if you only drink when you're thirsty, that's getting a bit late because you're already... In fact, your body's already suffering a bit of minor dehydration if that's when you first drink. Mm. So mm. regular drinking of water is an important, just, uh, well, I would hope, as mini preventative one. At least you've eliminated that one. If it runs in families, would the children have the same triggers as the, as the parent? Well, that's quite possibly, but they also have, unfortunately, almost inherited a bit of a sense of hopelessness that... I've seen mum or dad or elder brother or sister or somebody go through it and they go to the doctor and the neurologist and the CAT scans and off to the physiotherapist and the uh, chiropractor, the acupuncturist, everybody. And they still sort of get them. So they begin to think, oh dear, what can happen? What? How can we overcome this? And so you wind up actually fundamentally treating the symptom of pain, which is not the best outcome for anybody because taking medications then can cause what is called a rebound headache from mm. actually taking the medications. So you have to go off them and that causes a headache and oh, it's a terrible circuit to be in. 
Does it affect people from European backgrounds more than, say, let's say, Asians or in- Indigenous people? Well, it's an interesting question. Uh, that uh, it seems that the African incidence is a bit lower than the European one. That's about the only statistic mm. I have because I am a, a, a member of Headache International, and uh, they collect that sort of information. So that's the. But it's still even the African communities. Uh, just over the 10% area. And, of course, it might be very difficult to get accurate information from some of those societies. Mm, mm. But some of the good news that is coming out now is that we're finally starting to see the emergence of some uh, medications that uh, can prevent the onset of uh, the migraine. And it's very mm. important that some people don't uh, aren't aware of this. And uh, one of the medications has recently been released onto the Pharmaceutical Benefits Scheme. So it can happen that you might turn up at the GP with the migraine and he or she might have decided in the past, well, that medication is far too expensive. I can't really... uh, And it was not allowed to be prescribed Mm. as a first option anyway. But now it's open and it's available. And, for example, it comes either in all sorts of tablet forms, but more importantly, it's a nasal spray as well. So it's fast-acting and it's taken regularly and prevents... in, in. probably, again, about 80% of cases prevents the onset. And that's the sort of information we make available to people who know to come to us. And, of course, it's very helpful for us to be talking to you and your listeners who now some may not have heard of us, you see. You're listening to Wellbeing, and I'm talking with Mr Gerald Edmonds. We've talked about the people migraines affect in as much that it's Europeans, basically. But how would someone recognise a migraine from a... from an ordinary headache, a headache from another cause? There are still very large numbers of non-Europeans <laughs> in their societies. Mm. I say it's about 10% as opposed to up to 15 So mm. we've still got, unfortunately, very large numbers affected. It's pretty... The first thing is usually an aura that occurs, which is a bit like flashing lights before the eyes when there's no good reason to have those flashing lights. That's the first sort of sign. And then becomes feeling of nausea, uh, sensitivity to sound, uh, and bite and uh, then there's terrible pain on typically one side of the head so you need to have all of those to be differentiated from what may well be called a chronic headache now Iris mm. it will it, it's a terrible figure to also have to quote that there's probably at least four million people according to the research we have who suffer chronic headaches but are not classed as straight not out migraines. migraines no but other mm. kinds of headaches there might be cluster headaches or basically headaches that typically uh, the pain is spread throughout the temple and uh, throughout the head rather than being confined to one side, which seems to be a unique feature of migraines. Is it always the same side? You know, if, oh. if a patient start, has a migraine um, and the pain is on one side of his head, the next one he gets, will it also be the same side of his head? Yes, it will be, uh, mm. Iris. That's a, a common factor there. I've heard that patients do get cravings for sweet things, and you mentioned chocolate earlier on is this part because the body is in in the course of its normal processing needs to have um, extra sugar as say a, a diabetic does well that's a very wide-ranging question I, I don't have any research on which to base an answer for you Iris, i'm sorry to say but if there's a craving and it, it doesn't result in a, in a migraine then one, it should well be satisfied i would say mm. That's where you have to know, and, and we do make available a, a headache diary on the website, or we post one out to people who ring us up, so that they can keep track of all these 
things that are happening. But if it's environmental, such as, you know, extreme humidity, high temperature, whatever, then it's very hard to do something about that. And we do live, most of us, unfortunately, in an environment where it's all rush and pressure and noise, pollution in the cities. Mm. If you're susceptible to any of those, they're ever-present, aren't they, when you're travelling around the cities? Well, that's right, yes. Would the, the patient always run the same course of, of migraine building up? For example, the uh, problems with light and, and nausea, would it run exactly the same same pattern every time they get a migraine? Well, yes. yes it mm. must be very difficult. Uh, these people report to me, they know when one's coming, and that must be terribly uh, sort of alarming for you. So oh, here we go again. You know, you know mm. what the outcome is going to be. It could be a day. Some people, unfortunately, are laid up for two days. I was going to ask you how long did the average episode last? But then again, subject to some of these newer medications, which may be taken to... There's one I know that is recommended when the onset, at the early onset, if you take this, it prevents or minimises the impact of it. Mm. And that's, that's a relatively new one as well. And the other one, again, is taken regularly to prevent the onset at all. Mm. So those are things that are now available to people that have only recently become more widely known, and we're promoting the information about those. Once a migraine has taken over, what's the best thing that a patient can do? You know, well, once the headache's there, you know, what do they? What's the recommended thing that they do? Go to bed, or, or well, they need to probably the people will be on some form of medication, but very often they, you see, it may not even be safe to drive a vehicle. That's mm. the terrible part about it. So if you were, for example, taken uh, ill with one at work, you may not be entirely safe even driving a car home. Mm. It's a very difficult position in which to find yourself. So really you need to have medical treatment to try and it might mean uh, a more uh, a stronger dose of something that uh, subject to medical advice would be necessary to, to get over that situation. Once the headache's passed, is there a hangover effect? Not as far as I know. No, I should think the, the, the effect will be one of relief, knowing that the symptoms have gone and that in my case, for example, it might say, well, I don't normally get one except every month or now I have to just sort of mm. carry on as best I can. All we can say is that you know, one really needs to consider the total fitness level of an individual and, and try and, in the same way, make sure that all the boxes are ticked, You know, that one is eating properly, that's getting good rest, that you go through a process to minimise uh, stressy or manage stress, all of those things and exercise and do all that. But some people, unfortunately, find exercise actually triggers a migraine. Mm. So it is such a complicated area. And it, it does sound as if a whole um, gambit of, of research needs to be done just to get the, the very basic of this terrible thing. Well, there's one that we funded just last year, a Professor Lynn Griffiths, who by some strange uh, coincidence is at Griffith University, and she found the gene set in women that's associated with both migraine and stroke. Now, once that structure is known, they are now able to develop processes, medications to actually correct that. It's a world first thing, and, and that may well lead for those people to something that stops them getting the migraines, which would be fantastic. So that's why we're putting more money into that sort of work. Mm. 
So is there a connection, a, a direct connection between someone having had migraines all their life or all their adult life um, being more susceptible to having a stroke? Uh, there is a minor correlation there. Again, mm. it varies from individuals and family history and all the rest of it. So but it's I guess a that... little bit stronger than having yeah. a family history of stroke only. Yeah. Uh, I was going to say, I guess that if, if you were on the cards to have a stroke, a migraine wouldn't probably make much difference. Well, it, that, that, there is a, set mm. of, a positive, but a low positive correlation. For example, if mum or dad had a stroke, you, Iris, would be unfortunately susceptible as well. Mm. Mm. And I was going to go back to the other point about fitness, that the brain actually needs about 25% of the oxygen uptake. So that by just going through a process, and usually typically it's yoga that gives the best lot of breathing exercises and so on, mm. you can increase the uh, oxygen in your bloodstream by better breathing because most of us breathe in a very shallow fashion yes yeah. and uh you might notice if i were asked you to take a deep breath iris if you want to lifting your chest up mm. now that in fact tightens the diaphragm and makes the lungs smaller and although it's not a pretty sight you need to let the diaphragm out to breathe in and that's a very simple factor and then you tighten like a bellows the diaphragm to breathe out mm. so that sort of thing now oxygen some people in fact actually take oxygen they they have a you can go to the GP and, and, and have an oxygen bottle available to you, and that can mm. help their headaches. And yet again, it doesn't work for everybody. It really sounds a real trial and error thing, doesn't it? So far, it, it does seem to be. The, mm. That's one of the reasons also it doesn't have the full support, or the, I shouldn't say full support, everyone's very concerned to try and help people, but they they feel they don't have any options available to them. But... Uh, it isn't fatal, although I'm sure people, when they're having an attack, think it might be, but it isn't, in fact, fatal. So, therefore, it's down a little bit down the priority list in terms of medical research. But we still have so these other products that are available, and if your listeners would like to know about them, we can tell them about them on the website. In fact, that most recently released one is called uh, Topamax, and it's now available on the Pharmaceutical Benefits Register, so that it's more readily available to people than it ever has been. You're listening to Wellbeing. I'm Iris Nichols, and I'm talking today with Mr Gerald Edmonds, Executive Director of Headache Australia. We've talked about migraines and the people who get them. After they've been diagnosed, how do they go about getting treatment? Is it organised? Do the GPs send them on to a, a specialist, or can they go directly to a neurologist? How does it go? No, well, in the medical world, Iris, you need to go to a GP first and to have a referral to a specialist. Now, very often people may not take... I mean, the, the GP is, is a very professional person. They will check all the life signs, as you like, and high blood pressure and all that stuff, and if they believe it's necessary, send, <coughs> send off the various brain scans, just in case. And unfortunately, either chronic headache or migraine might also be a symptom of something worse. Yeah in a very small percentage. It may be a brain tumour or a high blood pressure or hypertension or many other things of which I'm not even aware. Mm. So once the doctor's cleared all those things, I'm afraid, then we find that we have a uh, condition that, that sort of uh, becomes an intermittent, ongoing condition that it, uh, at the moment for which there's no cure. Mm. Mm. Are there support groups available for people who have migraines? Now, we have, we're a fairly small organisation and we haven't really been able to organise uh, that. 
um, I'm sorry to say, we'd very much like to do something, but all we can offer is our telephone support and the information we have available on the web. Now, the telephone number is? Well, we're 1300 mm. And, of course, the website, that's for those who don't have easy access to the web, mm. is uh, www.headacheaustralia, all in lowercase, mm. and then .org for organisation and .al for Australia. So there's a lot of information to be had there. The other thing that we're trying to do, and it's an initiative from the latter part of last year, is to set up a national register. If we can get everybody, suppose we had everybody, well, we'd have an incredibly powerful tool for both generating more interest, generating more funds. Uh, if everybody registered with us who suffers either chronic headache or migraine, then we're in a position to be able to keep them informed about development. Mm. and also to take forward the case because you, I'm afraid, to get the sort of money we want uh, from governments, you have to have numbers. Well, this this was something I was going to ask you. If With the fields of re- research into migraines, um, is it at all funded by the government? Uh, we don't get it. There are, I'm sure, but are programs that the government is supporting and they support various neuroscientific research laboratories in a capital sense. Mm. Uh, but I'm... I'm we do not enjoy any government support, except as a uh, public benevolent institution, we get some taxation relief and that sort of stuff. But no direct money goes towards this very important area. One of the reasons it's also very important, it's, it's about lifestyle, it's about people suffering. We want to minimise that. We want people to be, you see, both chronic headache and migraine impact upon your ability to lead a full ordinary life. Mm. If you're planning to go out for, for something or on a weekend and an attack occurs, you can't. Yeah, that's so true. So it's very, very hard mm. on families mm. too uh, when this occurs because you've got somebody who is basically disabled for the period of the attack. Mm. And that's why it's so important. When you think of the benefit there would be if we can get some way out of this for those millions of people, boy, it, it affects productivity at work. It's all sorts of stuff. And that's why we're so dedicated to trying to do something. Have you any idea how many working hours are lost due to this condition? Well, unfortunately, it's just an average figure, but I think it's a bit over a day average uh, sick leave for workers in Australia, but those, uh, the research indicates it could be a bit over two that's required for people who suffer migraines. Mm. And so we're trying to educate employers to that very point I mentioned earlier, that if someone does suffer migraines, they, they do need a little bit of extra understanding which research shows is not really readily forthcoming at the moment, but that you will get so many gains from understanding that, in fact, when they don't have the attack, they're as efficient or better than anybody else. Mm. Mm. In fact, more dedicated than you would expect if, if they're given understanding. That's how humans work. Yeah, I guess that's uh, a common denominator with most things, isn't it? If, it's, if someone has a disability, that they uh, do respond better with, um, I guess, a bit of kindness. Exactly, but unfortunately research shows that uh, women can expect a certain level of sympathy for getting a headache. Men can expect very, very, very little. Mm. (laughs) So very often you find also, of course, there'll be a fair bit of underreporting because people don't want to be seen as awful blokes, you know, Mm. I've got a headache, Mm. I don't want people to say that. Um, And you might think it might also be prejudicial to your employment. So Mm. people then, of course, carry on a bit longer than they should, and uh, that can expose the risk of accidents and errors and all sorts of things. 
you've obviously said and told us that um, there's not a a lot of research going into migraine for all sorts of reasons. What would you like to see happen as regards migraines? Well, for us, and I can only talk about the arena in which I operate, if we can round up and rally the people to to be on our register, then we'll be able to, to make some gains that aren't otherwise available. Mm. And we're, we're hoping to enlist the help of the AMA in this one uh, and the Pharmacy Guild to distribute some of that information to people who are coming in for treatment for headaches and to ask, in fact, they would kindly register with us. We're just looking for some basic details. Even that can be of great interest to uh, when it's collected mm. and would provide individual information. But then it means, Iris, for example, if you're a researcher, you say, oh, gee, I'd like to get in touch with some people suffering either chronic headache or migraine, you have to have a lot of money to advertise or to, uh, to try and find those people. Yeah. Yeah. With, with us getting sufficient numbers on our register, we can let everyone know there's a call for people, might be a certain age group, a certain gender, whatever, to be involved in research. If you'd like to be involved, follow up with this number. You know that sort of stuff? Yeah. So that yeah. We, know, we ask people to come forward rather than saying we're, we can't possibly give out information ourselves. Mm. And that's a very powerful thing for the uh, neuroscientists and neurologists to have available. Are you getting much response from the media? Uh, yes, media. So people such as yourselves, Iris, it's a great benefit to us who do not have a very big marketing budget to be get an opportunity to tell this message and to tell everyone how we can how we're trying to help them. Because often people aren't aware that there's some something out there trying to get it fixed. Mm. The phone number again to get information and maybe contact you is one three hundred double eight six. Double six zero. That's correct. And www.headacheaustralia.org.au. Yes. Okay. Look, thank you very much indeed for joining me today, and um, I wish you every success. Maybe in perhaps uh, somewhere in the future, when there's a bit more known, we can get back and talk to you again. Well, certainly, I will. We'll have you on the list to keep you advised about any advances that we make or any breakthroughs in the research that come out. Thank you very much. I've been talking today with Mr Gerald Edmonds, Executive Director of Headache Australia. Until the next time we meet, thank you for listening. On behalf of all the team, we wish you well.